Okay, we're going to be talking about Christian entertainment. Um, let's, uh, let's just pray over this time. Let's also just think um, over the other breakout sessions that are going. They talk about a lot more serious things than we do. Um, so let's pray over them as well. Um, dear Gracious Father, I do pray that you will um, you'll be with me and Spence and Rob as we teach right now. I pray that you'll give us clarity of thought. Um, specifically, as, uh, as Rob is sharing your gospel and teaching how to share your gospel, that you will be exalted, that, that there will be a greater appreciation for the work that was done by Jesus, and that there will be a, a deeper compassion for our, our lost friends. Um, I pray also the same thing, even when, with Spencer speaking, knowing that there is an eternity in hell that, um, that exists for those who don't have a relationship with you. I pray that we'll be compelled to share the gospel, that we'll have an urgency in our love for others. I pray also for um, this session. Help me to be clear and concise. And uh, I pray that we will think through these, um, these topics in such a way that honors you. I pray that you will help me to speak truth, where you'll be honored and exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, uh, we're, like I said before, we're, I'm not going to say, okay, these are things that you should watch, these are things you shouldn't watch, these are things you should listen to. We'll spend the majority of the time talking about movies. I think probably we're talking about movies more, one, because there's so much to say, and I talk about it first. You know, if I talked about Music first, I'd probably talk more about it. But um, I think it's more important right now for us to, you know, movies. Every one of us watches movies. Everybody's going to watch movies. We're going to see movies. And uh, movies are, are more powerful. The reason why movies are more powerful is because they're, they're uh, multi-sensory, right? And because um, you're, you're, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're, you're living life out with them. It's funny because it kind of takes a lot of our imagination away from us because the imagination is done for us on a screen. And, and it's done in such a vivid way. I mean, writers and producers are unbelievable. I'm, I, am, I am the worst at getting just sucked into a movie, you know. Um, I really do think that I cried in that one movie, you know, really powerful movie, How to Train Your Dragon. Um, I mean, I get sucked into stuff. I was having an emotional time, all right? Give me a break. Man, when, they, when he finally starts flying with that girl, I mean, it's awesome, man. It's powerful. Um, it is. It is, man. It's, man. Let's just reflect on that. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, it's, it's unbelievable the way you just, you can get, just, you, you get sucked in. And the first thing I want us to understand is that when we watch a movie, we're not just, it's not just a story that's being presented to us, but it's a worldview. There's a worldview being presented to us. And in that is everything that that worldview values. This is really important because, and the way that we're influenced the most by movies is that we start to feel the way that they want us to feel and think the way that they want us to think that, that goes along with the story and the world that has been created in that movie. And so um, we, need to, we need to be... What I want to talk about is being able to recognize that. We need to recognize where we're being led. We, this, this is very important. And if it's, if it's in a direction that we would say, oh, yeah, this is what I need to be thinking. These are, val- these are things that I value. I really do value these things. It's n- not contrary to what I believe. Then great. You can appreciate that. But if it's against what we believe, we need to realize that. I mean, we've talked about it this week already that, this, that the, the Christianity is, is a spiritual battle. That we are in a battle right now. And there's a battle going on for your affections. And there's a battle going on for your mind and for the way that you think. And movies do such a fantastic job 
of really influencing the things that we value, the things that we, we, we hold in high regard, the things that we look down on, the actions and attitudes that, that we have that we experience on a daily basis often are a reflection of what we've been watching and what has been molding the way that we think. Now, I mean, this might sound really like doomsday, like you're like, I'm an old guy's like back in my day. But I mean, like we really are affected by stuff. I mean, obviously, you know that, right? You know, you're affected by movies, at least on a superficial level, because you, um, we quote movies all the time. Even today, um, our staff, we, one of the youth pastors um, spoke to our staff this morning and he quoted Napoleon Dynamite when he was going, when that lady said, I want that. Um, and if you've, you're familiar, when he pulls out the ship, and you're like, anyway, my wife says that line all the time. She'll just, we'll just be hanging out and she'll, she'll see something and she'll be like, I want that. Um, but, but more than just with just a superficial way, our mindset is, is, is molded by the stuff that we put in it. And specifically with entertainment, there's such a power behind stories. Stories are so powerful. You know, that's why if uh, often when you hear someone speaking in any type of trying to motivate in a certain way or for someone sharing the gospel, also um, often they'll share their testimony, their story. And I believe this, that the most popular movies out there are movies that have a powerful story of redemption and in sal- of salvation. You think about it. Well, look at, I mean, even like superficially, like you remember Braveheart, one of those powerful movie. I mean, yeah. Men are inspired by this. Um, and what is it? It's a guy who's self-sacrifice. It's a self-sacrifice for a greater cause, greater good that brings, you know, redemption, right? That, um, and it's, I mean, we see this everywhere. It, when we see a story that, it, that has salvation and redemption and we're drawn to it, and I believe it's because as, as human beings, we've been created in the image of God and that eternity has been written on our hearts. And so those types of stories resonate with us. Now, I think that the guy who understood this the best was C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis, I think the best book that C.S. Lewis ever wrote was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I mean, unbelievable story. And it's crazy because he, and, and when you ask, when people would ask him, they used to write letters a lot back in the day. Um, and they would write letters to him. In fact, a bunch of kids would always write. And he, re, he replied to every letter that was written to him, which is just really awesome. Um, and they've compiled it together. There's a book about, of C.S. Lewis Letters to Children. And it's called C.S. Lewis Letters to Children. I mean, it's pretty easy. Um, they, that wasn't very creative what they did with that. But I mean, it's just cool because people would ask, you know, why did you write the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Why is that? Why did Aslan do this? Why, why this, that, why that? And he basically said, you know what? Um, what I want to do is I want to write a story that would train kids in the way that they think so that they, this would be, this story is believable so that when they heard the gospel, the gospel would be believable to them. Well, it's fascinating. And I think he understood a lot by the way that our mind works, the nature of the human mind, that what happens is we see something over and over and over and it, and it forms like, you know, ruts in our brain. You know, have you ever driven on an old dirt road, right? That's it's, it's rained there for a lot and people have driven in the rain and then it dries. Well, and then your tires will naturally just fall into the ruts. You know, it's like in the, some of those rides at Disney world, right? Where it's just got that rail, like you can't get away from it because there's, it's just, it guides the way that you think. And I think that stories do that stories guide the way that we think and make us expect certain things to happen. And we need to pay attention that we are, our mind is thinking as believers are supposed to think because 
all too often we find ourselves anticipating something that we um, something to happen in a movie that's that's sinful, that's wrong. And we anticipate it happening because our brain has been so conditioned by what we've watched that we think that's the natural progression. That's the way things are supposed to be. And I think C.S. Lewis was brilliant in that he, he, he wanted to train kids. This, and this is a positive. This is a positive use of entertainment, right? That he wanted to train kids into thinking gospel-ish thoughts so that when they heard the gospel, it would be believable. That was fascinating. I, and I think, you know, I remember reading um, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I read The Lion, Witch, Wardrobe the first time as a, in college. And I thought, man, this is, I mean, I couldn't put it down. I thought it was unbelievable. And, um, and then, because I, I, it's just such a striking parallel to the gospel. You know, you've got the son of the emperor across the sea who comes to this world who who though not doing anything wrong takes the penalty of the guilty and then um self gives himself as a sacrifice and is uh, over to evil where they you know shame him and put him to death he and in so do and then uh, he he rises again from the dead and in so doing breaks the old law that was uh, written down i mean awesome and then leads his people into victory this is the gospel this is jesus and his triumph on the cross awesome and i remember and and so i mean we and so i remember and then i remember reading the 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 um the lord of the rings books after that and thinking you know i know that tolkien was a christian so this is also going to be really christian and um and I remember trying to, I'm being confused and thinking like, well, who's Jesus, you know? Um, was Frodo Jesus? I don't know. What about Aragon? Is he Jesus, you know? And then, but once again, I think that um, with with Tolkien, he was a little bit more creative than Lewis was. Um, and that Lewis tried to do like a direct, you know, allegory here where Tolkien was just like, um, just over and over, just themes of redemption, themes of salvation. So that no matter where you look, there are different, yeah, there are different characters um, they have, they carry their different represent representations of Jesus and of salvation. So you've got like Gandalf who defeats evil and comes back, you know, in white. I mean, that's a picture of Jesus. Um, Aragorn, who's this promised King who comes into his, his kingdom, you know, that's a, that's a picture of Jesus. And cause what happened with well, this is something that's fascinating. I read an article where someone had asked Tolkien, you know, I think probably influenced because they'd read Lewis and could see that this was that the line of which and wardrobe were Christian. So they asked Tolkien, Hey, is this, is your book, are your books Christian? And he said, of course they're Christian because I'm a Christian. I think that's fascinating. I mean, there's a couple of things we should understand, right? We need to understand that we're influenced by the stuff that we write. And we also need to understand, or I mean, we're influenced by the stuff that we listen to and we'll watch, but we also need to understand that the person who is producing the movies and music that we're watching and listening to, their worldview is being presented in that movie and in that music. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's, there's going to be a tension. When we watch movies, when we listen to music, more often than not, there's going to be a tension because the person who has written and produced this doesn't believe the same things that we do. That's huge. Do you understand that? And so, um, and this is one thing I want us to, us to pause and pay attention to. Um, if you're a Christian, Christians should be the ones who have the most appreciation for art. Christians should be the ones who are making the best movies. Christians should be the ones who are making the best music. Christians should be the ones who are painting the most beautiful paintings because Christians are the only ones are the only people who have 
a proper grounding for our appreciation for the arts and for creativity and for beauty. Christians are the only one because we realize that we have been created in the image of the creator God. We have a personal relationship with the one who creates everything. Do you understand that? I mean, this is huge. The fact that non-believers have stumbled across to produce fantastic art, it is not because they have a solid foundation for it in their worldview and for their belief system. They don't. They just don't. But we as Christians do. And so that we, so we should be excelling in every genre of art. We just should be. Because we, we know the creator of the universe who has created us to be like him, to be creative. Okay? So that's my, that's my take on that. Um, so then we, let's think, in general, we need to understand that there is going to be a conflict when we watch movies. Because 99% of the movies we watch, the people who are producing those don't, don't believe the same things we do. And we need to, make, we need to realize that, that they're presenting this worldview. And so we also we need to think about the structure of a movie. What's happening? What's the story? What's, what is the movie in intentionally trying to say and every one of you should know what i'm talking about because if you're in middle school you should have had like a literary a literature class where you have to do you know like a um, literary analysis of a story right do you know what i'm talking about well who's the protagonist that's the main character you have to identify that who's the antagonist is it a person is it a situation what's the main conflict that takes place do you guys know what i'm talking about right you should if not just say you do because it'll make me feel like you go to a decent school um you know, so and so we we always had to draw it out. Like we would just we would draw we would write out who the antagonist and the protagonist were, and we would draw a line going up to a climax because there's a climax. That's where the conflict takes place. Sometimes there's going usually there's like a uh, like a pump fake right where they uh, or like a false vic, a false defeat. The hero has a false defeat. Like he tries something, it doesn't work out, but then he perseveres. And then there's the conflict that takes place. Every every basic story this this is this is contained in it, right? And then the conflict will take place at the climax, right? And either um, either the the good guy, the protagonist, will win or he'll lose. And so it's either traditionally like a comedy or a tragedy, right? And then there's the resolution, right? Well, let's pay attention. You know, we need to pay attention. What's the conflict in this movie? You know, is this good triumphing over evil? Well, that's that's pretty good. I can, I agree with that. You know, most movies that we watch nowadays. Uh, um, Unfortunately, you know, most movies that we watch are based on some sort of love story, right? Where it's, you know, that you should fight for real love, you know? And there's a sense which we, we could say, yeah, that's a great story. But more than that, we also need to pay attention to how is, how is the conflict portrayed and what means are taken by the, the main character to accomplish that. You know, because uh, we need to think through what's happening because that'll tell us what the movie is valuing and it'll tell us what we value as well. Does, does that make sense? This is, I think it's pretty, I mean, it's a different way to look at movies. I realize that. And sometimes it, you take the fun out of movies by doing this. But, I mean, if it makes you be a clearer thinker and your mind is being more conformed to the image of Christ, then good. Do that, you know. And we need to make sure that, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch movies that disagree with you. Okay? I'm not saying that. I think, you know, there's an... There's a, there's a there's a time for entertainment used properly, and you can watch movies that you disagree with. But if you disagree with those movies, make sure that you're pointing that out to yourself and you're replacing that with truth. Um, uh, okay, so I'm going to talk about three different areas. This is that's kind of my introduction, which is you know longer than it should be. Um, but I apologize, not really. Um, 
Uh, I want to look at three things. I want to look at um, blasphemy and evil. I've characterized those together, blasphemy slash evil. I'm going to talk about violence, and I'm going to talk about sex. And we're, what I want to do is I want to talk about now and the way that I grew up, the, the way we were told to what movies we should watch and we, we shouldn't watch was basically, you know, PG movies. You could watch, usually you could watch PG movies. Anything more than that, you couldn't watch. If there's blasphemy in it, you can't watch it. If there's violence in it, you can't watch it. If there's sex in it, you can't watch it, which is fine. You know, I mean, Kung Fu Panda does have a lot of violence, but I've, I've, I think that's portrayed properly. Um, uh, and so what I want to do is I want to say not just are these, are these in movies, but... How is this portrayed in movies? Does that make sense? Because when, then we're really getting the underlying core. Like, what is this saying about blasphemy, violence, and sex? All right? And so I will say this. I think that each one of these categories, that a movie can contain these things in a positive light and a negative light. Okay? And so let me give you some examples, just practically, so you can understand what I'm talking about. Like, for instance, there are some movies, like a lot of, a lot of basic horror movies, they're just... They're, 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 they just do a bad job of presenting evil. They make evil seem sometimes good and fun and enjoyable and humorous. And I would say that when in situations where you have movies that are presenting evil in the wrong light, then we shouldn't pay attention to that. We shouldn't watch that. We shouldn't be influenced by it. Because if it's, it's, making it, it's training our minds to, to look at things improperly. Now, well, one of the chief ways that, that Christians will, I think, improperly talk about this is that they'll like it happened when the Harry Potter books first came out, which which was a really long time ago now. Um, a lot of you weren't born when the Harry Potter books came out, which is weird to me because um, I remember reading them, you know, in college um, because I was like, hey, people, a lot of Christians are in uproar about this. I want to know what's going on. And they would say, because there's magic being used. Christians would say magic is being used in this and it's wrong. And then I heard the same people saying, well, if you want to read something like that, then you should read the, um, the Lord of the Rings. And you're like, well, okay, magic, right? You know? And in fact, the way that, especially in the first couple of Harry Potter books, it seems to me that the magic that's in it is a lot is sillier. It's not, it's not really, I mean, I, obviously I think that the, that Satan could use any type of magic to make people, if someone's inclined towards like, you know, the occult and wicked and stuff, then you shouldn't read anything or listen to anything with about magic. Right. But for me, I thought I read through the Harry Potter books, trying to find something wrong with them, you know? Um, because I was like, if this is, if there's something wrong with this, I want to know. And I, cause working with, you know, high school students, I felt, I felt like it was, you know, an obligation that I had. And, um, and the only thing I really see wrong with the Harry Potter books, to be honest, is, um, the, I think they, they represent a poor view, poor view of authority. Um, and that, you know, the, the, it seems to me that it, it, it leads people into thinking, oh, adults, parents, teachers, any type of authority, they don't really know what's going on. They don't know what's right. Um, I can do whatever I want and I'll get away with it. That's what I feel like the Harry Potter books teach, you know, kind of subtly. Um, and once again, if, if, if you're reading that, you need to realize, okay, this isn't true. Adults really do know what they're talking about and I should pay attention to them. Other than that, read it, be in, enjoy it. Okay. But I remember people complain about it because it had magic in it, you know, because magic is evil. In, you know, we, in Christians, we can't have anything to do with evil. But then they would say, read the Lord of the Rings. Well, if you read the Lord of the Rings, the, it, it's written in a lot darker way. I mean, even if you watch the movies, which let me just time out for a second. Um, I want you all to realize that most movies are based on books and books are better than movies. Thank you. All right. Even if, if you don't like to read, get over it. 
read books. Books are, books are important. Just reading books, even if you read fiction books, it will make you a smarter person and your brain will function better. All right? I want you, I want you guys to go ahead and commit inside yourselves to... What's, the Bible is a book, but, yeah, and it's very important. Uh, commit to yourselves to not be the dumbest generation ever um, and read books. Okay, so that's my time out. Time back in. Um, I was talking about something, I don't know, Lord of the Rings. Um, and, I, and I feel like, but the reason why I feel like in the Lord of the Rings, and even to an extent Harry Potter, that I'm okay with magic is because evil is portrayed as evil. And that's good. We should, we should rejoice in that because that's the truth, right? Evil is portrayed as evil and good triumphs over evil. If a movie is presenting evil in that light, in the proper light, then that's fine. That's great for me. In fact, and even, even to the point where I think if, if a movie uh, portrays blasphemy in a proper light, then that's, then that's okay with me because that's the truth. Like, for instance, we do two skits here that I think are are utterly blasphemous. All right. I don't think it's blasphemy for us to do the skits, but I think they're blasphemous. There's this, there's a distinction there. Like the skit we did Monday night, Jesus coming off the cross. That's, that's blasphemous. This didn't happen. We were misrepresenting the truth of God, but we're doing it for a point. You know, we do it. And so Brody can get up there and say, this isn't what happened. This is not the gospel. The gospel is way better than that. I mean, okay. So do I think it's wrong for us to use blasphemous ideas in a skit? No, not for if it's portrayed in the right way. Tomorrow night, we're going to do a skit out here, the revelation skit. And Satan is going to be evil. He's going to claim to be God. He's going to pretend, he's going to try to deceive Christians. And he's going to say the most blasphemous things that could be said. Do I think that's wrong for us to portray that? No, because we don't have them winning. You know, Jesus wins. Evil loses. Evil is evil and good triumphs. Okay. Think about that. Just when you, when you see a movie and you, and when you see a movie that's glorifying evil, then get that out of your, get that out of your head. Don't even be influenced by that. Um, violence. I, I look at violence in the same basic way. I think there are movies that glorify violence and, and Christians should not be affected by them. If that means you shouldn't watch them, then don't watch them. I think specifically a lot of action movies, I hate to say this cause you know, as a man, I'm supposed to love action movies. Um, and for instance, like the, the born trilogy, I thought those were fantastic. Um, in fact, the books way better. In fact, you could, you guys need to read books. Um, yeah, have I mentioned that in, in the, uh, in the born trilogy. Okay. Um, the books, you could read the books and watch the movies and have six completely different stories because the book, the movies are in no way relate to the, the books. The books are just so much better. Anyway, um, they mentioned that books are better. Okay. Um, but when you, when you watch that for me, I walked out of there and on several occasions after I've watched them over and over again, I I have to fight the the tendency to think that everything can be handled with violence and that I would have no problem killing somebody. I mean, that's just the way it is. You think you watch a movie like that and you think, I could do that. I could end someone's life like that. No big deal. And we need to, we need to realize that that those types of movies are an attack on truth and they're an attack on the sanctity of human life because 
we, the viewer, watch those movies and we value human life less because of that. We need to understand that. Do I mean? Do I say you shouldn't watch it? I don't think that completely. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to be that strong. But I'm going to say, if you're watching those movies, make sure you're replacing that stuff with the truth. Make sure that you think through. You know what? I believe that human beings were created in the image, in the image of God, and that just as God commanded Noah that if someone takes the life of a human, that by a human his life needs to be taken, because it's it's so valuable because it's been made in the image of God. We need to understand that. So replace it with the truth. I think there's also, there's also situations where violence is portrayed in a, in a good way. I, I, I think of two movies specifically, Saving Private Ryan and The Hurt Locker. Um, if, if you can watch Saving Private Ryan and go away thinking, I would like to kill everybody, war is awesome, then you've got problems with your brain. Because you, you watch that movie and, I mean, I think it shows the evilness of death and it shows the dark side of war sometimes the dark side of a necessary war you know and and and, and for me i'm i'm i watch it i'm just like i'm just tore up and so thankful that people would give their lives for me to have what, the blessings that i have you know what i'm saying and so we watch that and and I don't think it's glorifying violence in any way. And in fact, I think it's presenting violence in a, in its appropriate context. You know, and I think also the movie, the hurt locker, the hurt locker, I thought was just a horrible movie. Um, I mean, I'm, I thought it was very well done, but the reason why I say it was horrible is because it portrayed the dark side of war perfectly. Um, you don't you don't leave you don't stop watching that movie and think man war is awesome this is really great because you've got a guy who's just been rocked by violence and by war who is like an amazing like bomb detonator but when he comes back into real society about has a nervous breakdown because he can't figure out how to pick out a box of cereal you know and i think this is done in a in a positive way and especially movies that make jokes out of murder and of violence, I just don't think it's a good idea. Like you watch uh, the movie The Boondock Saints, um, it, they, it is just a complete utter disregard for, the, for human life. And if we're in, and, and we will be influenced by stuff like that. That's why I think video games are so destructive because, I, I mean, it just happens. I, it's, it's not a coincidence that people that are participating in school shootings have, have played a lot of video games. Because you think, I could just kill somebody, I could stab somebody, I could shoot them, and there's no big deal, there's no consequence whatsoever. Just you need to make sure that you're replacing the lie with the truth. And then finally, I'd say about sex. Um, that sex, same way, you know, there are times where it can be portrayed in a positive light. That, it can, that sexual things can be portrayed in a positive way in movies. Now, here's the here's the big difference, and this is a point that I'm that I take a strong stand on, um, and that is that you guys know that in Saving Private Ryan, that people weren't really killed, right? You understand that if someone dies in a movie, they still like they're not dead. You know, I don't think that God looks at the person who kills someone in a movie and think, you know what, you've murdered, right? Because that's not real. But here's the truth of the matter. That when we're talking, when, we, when sex is in a movie, when people are, um, you know, making out, touching all over each other, um, whatever, pretending to have sex with each other, they're really doing these things with each other. Physically, these things are happening. There's no way around it. And I want you to step back because I, what we do when we watch a movie, a lot of times we think this is just pretty colors on the screen, right? But these are real human beings created in God's image who are acting out things with each other. And I want you to put, put yourself in God's situation and think, does you, do you think God excuses 
this type of behavior, if it's for entertainment, if they're getting paid for it, you know, I mean, think about it. Do you think it would be weird for me if I was in some sort of movie? If you like, if you came here and you heard me teaching about this and you're like, oh, well, I like Zach because, you know, he's been in movies. I saw this one movie where it was a romantic comedy. And I remember this one part where there was a love scene with him and this girl and he was uh, touching all over, making out with their, they started to take their clothes off and, you know, pretended to have sex and then it blacked out. Right. Would you have less respect for me because you'd see me do that? Absolutely. Of course you would. Would you, is that something you'd want your, your, your son or your daughter aspiring to? No, absolutely. Would you want your husband or your wife doing that. No, if I was in, even if I told you that I was in, involved in, you know, a play in town and every weekend I had to go like make out with this woman for the play. You think my wife would appreciate that? No, she'd kill me. I mean, literally kill, take my life, you know? And I mean, and I'm afraid of that. So, um, but I have no desire to do that. I mean, cause, and we, we can't, we can't take the human, um, aspect out of this. We can't just say, oh, well, you know, I mean, really, we come, Christians come up with really dumb defenses for stuff like this because we're like, oh, well, it's just a movie. It's just entertainment. That's their job. Um, they're pretending to be married in this movie. The characters are married. No. I mean, that's just not true. Do you think God's looking down from heaven and looking at this movie scene where, um, in these, where it's being filmed in this uh, studio and seeing these two people touch all over each other and he knows that he's created the human body as something that's valuable and sacred and that they're just you know, prostituting themselves, right? Do you think God looks down and is like, oh, this is good. I think this is going to be a great movie. No, I don't think that. Let's, look at, let's just get real practical. Let's say that... Um, Let's say this. Let's say that I invited you over to my house. I wanted you to watch a movie, but my TV was busted, right? And so I moved the TV out of the way, and it's like, hey, guys, um, the, here's what's going to happen. My TV's not working, but I called down to the community college. There's some kids in the drama class down there, and they're going to come act out a movie in, in my living room. So picture this. We're in my living room, and uh, they start acting out this movie, and I was like, oh, you know, okay, there's going to be an awkward part because the characters are married, and so they're going to start to... Um, you know, touch all over each other, kiss all over each other, take their clothes off, pretend to have sex with each other. It, and it's okay, though. It's part of the movie. Are you going to think, that's, that's sick and disgusting? I hope so. And I suppose I'm like, but it's okay, guys. This is their job. I'm paying them, you know? That makes me sound even more perverse, you know? I mean, are you telling me? I mean, is it? Would, is that right? Is that cool? If, if if I went to if I went to a college right now, saw some people in the drama club and said, "Hey, I'll give you each a hundred bucks if you'll just make out with each other right now for my entertainment." Would that be sick and disgusting? Yeah. But think about it. Is this any different than what happens with these movies? No. In fact, it's this is more tame. That's it's more tame. That's weird. We're, we're prostituting people for our satisfaction, for our enjoyment, for our entertainment. We're paying for it. That's exactly right. We're the ones paying for it. I mean, that's gross. You know? But, I mean, so that's where I think we have, there's a fine line. We need to be really careful. What are we endorsing, you know? What are we, what are we, what are we putting our stamp of approval on? Um, but I do think that, and, and in addition to that, we do need to look at how it's portrayed. You know, whether you agree with me on that, look at how it's portrayed. Look at how, how sex and relationships are portrayed in movies. In fact, uh, our, our culture is so sex-saturated that everything sexual has, de- has been devalued. Like I said before, you, what happens you, with you and your brain, we have been affected so poorly or so actually well 
by the entertainment world that when we see a movie and we see a guy and a girl make a certain type of eye contact with each other, we assume that they're going to hook up later on in the movie. And that's our assumption. We're assuming that that's the natural way that things are supposed to happen. We don't agree with this as believers. We think this is wrong and sinful, but our brain is processing information that way as Someone who's a part of this world, as someone who's not a child of God, as someone whose mind is not being renewed daily in the knowledge of its creator, we're starting to think the wrong way. Pay attention to that. You know, there's even, um, there's a movie that came out this past year um, that some people were like, oh, it's a great story because it shows how great true love is and how you're supposed to have your one true love. It's a movie called No Strings Attached. If you, if you watched it, shame on you. If you, if you didn't, good job. Don't watch it. Um, and the whole story was about this couple who, you know, they were sexually active with each other, but then they didn't want to feel constrained in the relationship, so they started seeing other people. And uh, it was all had all sorts of sexual experience with each other and then realized, oh, well, we want, we really need to be back with each other. And so it's like, see, this is great. You know, they finally found each other. True love wins out. No, I mean, we might agree with that, but we don't agree with the means by which they went across that, you know, and there's, there's, and the, the sad thing is there's only a, there's, there's a, a small handful of Christian movies out there that are really doing well. That, and, and this is, to, to our shame as Christians, more often than not, the Christian movies out there are not done in a way that is artistically impressive. And I, I thought the most recent one, Fireproof, I thought that was pretty good because I, I, I went into it thinking this is going to be really crappy quality. And I was really impressed. I thought it was decent. I thought it was good acting. I thought it was a good story. I thought the quality of the film was good. And I was and, and one, one distinction I want you to think about, the movie Fireproof I thought was way better as far as the way that it portrayed um, you know, sex and relationships is because it wasn't, it, most movies will value love and true love. But if you pay attention subtly, they weren't valuing love and true love. They were valuing marriage. That's huge. And we believe as Christians that marriage is the most sacred relationship that can take place between two human beings. And it draws that sacredness from the fact that God has used that as a picture of salvation of Christ in the church. Huge. That's awesome. So, and they, they, so they're valuing marriage, which is way more important to me than just some sort of idea of love. And then also, I was really impressed because I found out that Kirk Cameron, when he kissed his wife at the end, yeah, the, it was really his wife, which I agree with. Husbands are supposed to kiss their wives. That's, that's good. That's good. See, I agree with that. Yeah. Husbands, kiss your wives. No one else. Okay. That's easy. Um, that's, that's super easy. And, you know, I mean, it's just crazy to me. Like, cause you, even when you think about where we've come as a society, cause back in the fifties when, um, during I love Lucy, you guys, everybody's heard of it. Yeah. This is, was unbelievable about it is, yeah, they, they always, in the bedroom scene, they were in separate beds. And I think, well, that makes sense, you know, because that's the, the culture of the day was set. There was such a moral, um, whatever, a moral consensus of our society. But then I think, wait a second. Um, the main characters were actually married in real life and still they had them in separate beds because of the moral consensus of our society. And that is way different than what we're, what we're experiencing now, which means we need to be even more on our guard. Um, and so <clears throat> realize, that, realize that movies are profoundly effective, that they're presenting a worldview and replace the, re- replace the lies with the truth. The last thing I want to talk about is music. And we'll talk about music for less than 10 minutes because I've already taken so much time. Um, with, uh, with music, um, uh, look in, once again, look and see what 
this. Look and see what songs are talking about. The, on your own sometime, go look at the top ten songs on iTunes, and then uh, and then Google the lyrics and read the lyrics. That's, it is it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing because you know right now about eight of the top ten songs are just explicitly about sex. You know, Lady Gaga's got a song talking about on the edge of glory. And you think, well, that can't be too bad. Well, what's she talking about? What's glory? Yeah, glory is a sexual experience. That's what she's on the edge of, on the edge of, right? I mean, this is, and think about this. I mean, this stuff goes through your brain all the time. The stuff you listen to goes through your brain. It, and at practically, what happens with music is you meditate on songs. You know, a lot of times people are like, man, you know, reading the Bible, I'm supposed to be meditating on his word day and night. I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. You do it all the time with songs. They get stuck in your head and they run around in your head. And, and, and of course, your, your response of, is, of course, well, I don't listen to the words. Yes, you do. You, you might not intentionally listen to them, but they get stuck in your head. How many, I mean, how many times have you been in a public place and you just hear a song going on the, on the radio and you start singing the words along and you're like... How do, how do I know these words? And your brain can't differentiate. You know, it hears them and they get stored away in your brain. So what do you want to be meditating on? That's just the truth of the matter. What do you want to be meditating on? And in and, and, and contrast to movies, there is a ton of good, awesome, solid Christian music. Now, okay, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, and people will disagree with me on this, and that's fine. I think that contemporary Christian music has become its own genre and that it is not as impressive artistically as most non-Christian music. They've, we, I think Christians did such a poor job going into the music scene that we couldn't fit into any other genre well. We weren't talented enough to do that, so we made our own genre, and it's, it's not very good. And to be even to to take it a step further, because I'm to be honest, I don't I don't really care a lot about music. I know it's weird. I lead worship. I don't really care about music that much. Um, I care about words a lot, a lot more than music. And uh, in, what's even more sad is most popular Christian music has just really shallow messages. I mean, just just shallow, sad, shallow. But there are there are exceptions, and this is where um, I, it's possible people will disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, You'll be wrong, but that's fine. Um, I think the two brightest lights in Christianity right now, as far as music goes, are in the hardcore scene and the hip-hop scene. Um, and, and I say this, praise God, because for so long, the hardcore and specifically, well, I mean, both in two different ways. The hardcore scene has been, and this, I sound really too spiritual, but has been in the throes of Satan for a long time. And that hardcore music has been portrayed in such a way that is that all it does is present evil thoughts, evil things that are anti-God and blasphemous and satanic. But it's just music. It's just a genre of music. And it's being redeemed. Um, and in fact, right now, um, even according to non-Christian people, some of the best hardcore bands are Christians, which I think is awesome. And because the, the coolest thing about that is because it takes a special kind of person to play hardcore music. These people are out there a little bit, but they're, they're having solid theology and hardcore songs. And it is, it is not uncommon for a hardcore band to stop in the middle of a song when they have, when they're opening and, uh, and 
uh, when they're opening and you know following behind non-Christian bands who are preaching about killing as many things as possible, they will be singing a song about the gospel, stop, preach the gospel to a room that's filled with 90% non-believers, and then start back singing again. And what I have to respond to that is praise the Lord. That's awesome. I mean, we've got people who are breaking into what's been a satanic stronghold with the light of the gospel. Great. And I say also hip-hop music has been, once again, controlled by the enemy for a long time. Where most hip-hop music, has it, all, it, all it cares about is a really perverted understanding of masculinity and sexuality. A, an elevation of materialisms, specifically, you know, the size of your tires and the type of jewelry you wear. Which I think is just ironic, you know. That's just weird, but true. And, uh, and now some of the, I, and I really believe this, and this um, I really would like you to have a conversation with me about. Some of the richest theological Christian music is hip-hop music. I mean richest. You think that's not true. Well, let me give you an example. Um, There's this one song. Everybody here needs to go out and buy the album, The Atonement, by a guy named Shy Lin, because it's the best ever. Anyway, there's the, this is a song. I'm going to read this song, and I want you to realize that this is a hip-hop song. Okay? So be thinking, you know, what, what you, think about what your expectations for a hip-hop song would be. This song is called Triune Praise. It's got three verses, one for each person of the Trinity. I kid you not. Um, Praise God the Father, the immortal creator. For your glory you made us. You're the sovereign orchestrator. All that you decree will most surely come to happen. You're awesome as can be and your glory none can fathom. Nothing could ever stain you. The heavens can't contain you. We thank you for sending your son to explain you. Otherwise, we would have remained in the dark. But you sent your Holy Spirit to spark a change in our hearts. According to your eternal purpose and will, you determined to reveal yourself to those who deserve to be killed. Those of us whom you foreknew adore you. We praise you that you predestined us to be conformed to the image of your son, who's the radiance of your glory. When I meditate on it, the weightiness of it floors me. So father will praise you over and over again because you sent your only son to atone for our sins. The chorus repeated between each verse is glory to the father, glory to the son, glory to the spirit, three and yet one, one in your essence, three in your person, the same in your nature, distinct in your working. Oh, my soul, behold the wonder of the Trinity. Blessed be the Trinity. Oh, what a mystery. I'll stand amazed for the rest of my days, pouring out my heart and try and praise. All right. Verse two, I'm going to read all three of them because I've got the microphone. Um, (laughs) praise God, the son, the second person of the Trinity, you're distinct from the father, yet you share in his divinity, fulfilling the eternal covenant. You came through to planet earth to save who all that the father gave you. You became this, this is going to sound familiar. You became a man of sorrows acquainted with grief for the glory of your father. You extinguished the beef that stood between us at the cross, the father's anger released the shepherd slain for the sheep, the sheep. The situation is deep and I can't find the right language to speak. In fact, it's making me weep. Just the thought of you saving this creep. You're risen from the dead. I still can't get this out of my head. How the judge could lead the, could leave the bench and go to prison instead. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. You're bleeding. is what saved men. It's the reason why we're praising. Can't wait to see your face but in the meantime please let us see you as colossal and by the spirit live lives worthy of the gospel verse three my favorite praise god the holy spirit the third person of the trinity distinct from father and son yet share in their divinity holy spirit we praise you you don't like the spotlight you'd rather point away from yourself and give the props to christ yet because you're god you deserve veneration and you're the one responsible for our regeneration you apply the finished work of christ to all the elect your call is effectual you haven't lost one yet 
You comfort us when sin, Satan, and the world get us bothered. And it's only by you we cry out, Abba, Father. You're the spirit of adoption, the spirit of truth. You graciously provide your people with the gifts and the fruit. You help kill sin and disattach us from our idols. If it wasn't for you, we, if it wasn't for you we'd never understand the Bible. Because you wrote it for, for our life, it will surely suffice. Amazingly, you do it all for the glory of Christ. I mean, that is awesome. You can't, you can't get any better than that. You really can't. I've looked, you can't, it's so good. Um, and there's a, granted there's some, there's some guys who are doing the genre better than Shylin, but he's doing the theology, just unbelievable. He, he doesn't even like hip hop music. He says that what he does is called lyrical theology. It's just unbelievable. Just amazing. There's a, there's a group, there's a group, there's probably about 15 or 20, like amazing hip-hop musicians right now who are i mean 15 or 20 is probably the minority i mean it's just probably it's probably uh whatever underestimate i mean i'm talking about people that i know of who are who i'm listening to and you know once again i'm not really a huge fan of hip-hop music but i love it because the way that they're giving honor and glory to christ and through the and, and to the atonement it's unbelievable so i mean christian christians are doing a good job out there we need to do a better job in every different every genre every genre needs to be done well we need to we need to present truth well and we need to be doing the genre well you know that's where that's my criticism for most Christian music. While I was growing up, I mean, you could tell for you could listen to a song for about five seconds and know whether it's Christian music or not. You know, and, as, as, and some people would be like, "See, we're being distinct from the world." No, not really. We're we're making our own genre, and that's silly. You know, that's not that's not taken. No one's seriously accepting that as 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 good art. And so, um, once again, as believers, we need to be doing art well. We need to pay attention to what we're, what we're being influenced by, specifically in music. What words do you want going around in your head all day long? I'd rather have ones that are giving honor and glory to God, who in, in so doing are help conforming my mind to the way that I think. I'm going to close by reading a quote by a seminary professor, um, which is ironic because it's, anyway, it's ironic. He says this, he says, no, no offense intended towards seminary professors, publishers, and pastors, but the most influential theologians in the United States of America, you ready for this? He's saying the most influential theologians in the United States of America are screenwriters, producers, lyricists, and musicians. These Hollywood theologians convey their message through movies, television shows, and popular music, which become the lingua franca of various subcultures and subculture of the USA. John Mayer, Jay-Z, and the Black Eyed Peas have more access into American homes than John Piper, Mark Driscoll, and C.J. Mahaney, who are all pastors. Um, Quentin Tarantino, Oliver Stone, and M. Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. yep. have more formative influence than Wayne Grudem, John Frame, J.I. Packer, who are all theologians. Avatar and Taken have captivated more people than mere Christianity or knowing God. That's unbelievable. This has been going on forever. There's a guy in the 1700s. His name was uh, Andrew Fletcher. He was a Scottish patriot who said, let me write the songs of the nation and I don't care who writes their laws. You know, that's huge. There's a guy in the 1800s. Um, as a Russian guy, his last name is Chekhov. He talked about how playwriters were the, were the high priests of the sacred arts. You see what's going on here? I mean, we've realized this. That the people who are really leading our country and forming the way that we think are those who are entertaining us. And even just on a practical level, what do you spend more time doing? Do you spend more time listening to music, watching TV and watching movies? Or studying, personally worshiping God, praying, sharing the gospel? What do you spend more time doing? 
That's huge. Um, and the last thing I'll say is there's a quote by, um, by a pastor from Minnesota who said that, uh, he said, my parents never, hardly ever went to movies. I hardly ever go to movies. The reason why is because I, f- I refuse to be entertained by actions, attitudes, actions, motives, and attitudes that Jesus Christ died to eradicate. That's huge. Think about that. I mean, we don't ever step back and look at things that from a cosmic scene, you know. We're so obsessed with what's now, what's going on right now. So my, my challenge to you is, as you watch movies, pay attention to what's, being, what's trying to influence you and replace it with the truth of God so that you can become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So I'll pray, and then we'll be done, and you'll still have like 10 minutes before lunch. So that's great. Um, dear gracious